Welcome to Apologetics with Brian O'Connell, where in each episode, I answer difficult questions that confront Christianity. In our last episode, we looked at the manuscript evidence for the Bible, and we saw that there is more manuscript evidence for the Bible than there is for any other ancient work. Not only that, but we saw that the manuscript copies that we have for the Bible were written within 45 to 50 years from when the originals were written, which is within the lifetime of those who actually witnessed the events happening. However, even though we saw that there is more manuscript evidence for the Bible than for any other ancient work, it left us with asking the question of whether or not the Bible is just a book of fairy tales that just happens to have a lot more manuscript evidence. Is the Bible just like Homer's Iliad, but with more manuscript evidence? Is there any proof outside of the Bible that verifies its reliability? In order to address these questions and objections to the Bible, we need to look at two things. We need to look at archaeological and extra-biblical evidence. So first, let's look at archaeology. Before I address the many pieces of archaeological evidence, I want us to think about a couple things. Why is it that people claim that the stories and events recorded in the Bible are nothing but myths? Second, why is it important that we look at archaeology to prove the Bible's reliability? So why do people think of the events and stories in the Bible as myths? The reason for this actually goes back over 300 years to the Enlightenment and its influence, which itself came from the Renaissance. But from the Enlightenment came an age of skepticism, agnosticism, romanticism, and other isms. The reason I bring this up is that this time in history had a huge impact on how people viewed the Bible. People went from trusting the Bible and accepting it as the words of God to rejecting it as the words of God and thinking of it as nothing more than the flawed words of men. Men such as Gene Ostruck, Johann Simler, David Strauss, and others began developing the field known today as textual criticism. These men began to tear apart the Bible and claim that the Bible was riddled with errors and that therefore the events in the Bible were nothing more than myths. To support the arguments made by these men was the utter lack of evidence that writing was even known during the Mosaic period. In other words, these men argued that writing hadn't even developed during the time of Moses and that therefore he could not have written the books claimed to have been written by him. And if he hadn't written those books, then it meant that the Bible was full of lies, especially since the Old and New Testaments both claim that Moses is the author of the first five books of the Bible. Not only was there a lack of evidence for written language, but there was also a lack of archaeological evidence for the people and places mentioned in the Bible. Examples of this included the mention of people groups, such as the Hittites or Horites, kings such as Sargon II, Belshazzar, or places such as Jericho. This lack of evidence in the archaeological record 
acted as proof for these men and other skeptics that the people, places, and events mentioned in the Bible were nothing more than fables or religious fairy tales. Something interesting is that this was the time in history that belief systems such as Mormonism founded by Joseph Smith in 1830 and Jehovah's Witness founded by Charles Taze Russell in 1872 were developed. We're going to look at these faith systems in more detail in future episodes. But these religious groups, as well as others, make the argument that the Bible was corrupted and can't be trusted. However, these groups were influenced by an age of skepticism. Now you may be thinking, why is it bad to be skeptical or to question the reliability of the Bible, especially if there isn't any proof outside of the Bible that the people, places, and events supposedly recorded in the Bible ever existed? To this, I'd say that it makes perfect sense for these people or anyone else to question the Bible, especially when during this time in history, there wasn't any proof of its reliability. Or really, it seemed like during this time in history, there was actually proof that the Bible wasn't reliable. So, even though the skepticism the people had back then was valid, we will see in this episode that the arguments and attacks made over the past several hundred years hold no ground and are in fact outdated. Not only that, But the evidence presented in this episode will show that their arguments have been proven false. For over 170 years now, there has been an explosion of archaeological evidence to support the claims of the Bible. In fact, I mentioned that skeptics argued that the Bible is full of lies since there is no way Moses could have written the Bible. If you recall, These skeptics argued this because there was no evidence that writing had developed during the time of Moses. However, biblical scholar Gleason Archer points out that archaeological discoveries have confirmed the use of alphabetic writings in the Canaanite-speaking cultures before 1500 BC. Not only that, but regarding these people groups that skeptics had once claimed never existed, Archer points out that archaeology has contributed large numbers of documents to demonstrate the existence and major importance of both Hittites and Horites. Skeptics had also claimed that there was no evidence for Belshazzar being a real king in the historical record. However, archaeologists have also uncovered evidence proving that he was in fact a king, just like the Bible claims. One of the kings mentioned in the Bible that skeptics used as a major piece of evidence to show that the Bible is full of made-up people was the mention of Sargon II. However, as a result of an abundance of archaeological discoveries, there is no longer any archaeologist who would deny the existence of King Sargon II. In fact, Merrill Unger, in his book Archaeology in the Old Testament, points out that the discovery of Sargon's palace at Korsabad in 1843 by Paul Emil Bata and further explorations of the site in more recent years by the Oriental Institute of the University of Chicago have changed the whole picture. With the discovery of the palace, 
the royal annals, and other records of Sargon's reign, which was from 722 to 705 BC, he is now one of the best known of the Assyrian monarchs. In fact, archaeologists credit King Sargon as being the one who finally took Samaria in 722 to 721 BC after its three-year siege by Shalmaneser V. It was a result of this military campaign that resulted in the fall of the northern kingdom of Israel. Now I've just explained why there was so much skepticism regarding the Bible. But I've also shown that the arguments that were used by skeptics to claim that the Bible contains errors and therefore cannot be trusted are outdated. I've shown that for each of these skeptical arguments, evidence has been found in support of the Bible. However, as I mentioned, there is an enormous amount of archaeological evidence to support the Bible, which I now want us to dive deeper into. For example, besides King Sargon II, another biblical character which was often seen as being nothing more than a person of legend was King David. Prior to 1993, there was no archaeological evidence to prove that David was in fact a real person. However, in 1993 and 1994, archaeologists found the house of David or the Tel Dan inscription. The inscription records the military conquest of an Aramean king whom scholars believe was Hezael of Damascus. The inscription talks about the Aramean king defeating two enemies. These enemies are mentioned as being the king of Israel and the king of the house of David. Most scholars believe that the Stella recounts a campaign of Hezael of Damascus in which he defeated both Jehoram of Israel and Ahaziah of Judah. Regardless of who these kings were, the significance of the inscription is that this Aramean king mentioned that one of the enemies that he had defeated was from the house of David. This is extremely significant. If David wasn't a real person, and if David hadn't been the king of Israel, this Aramean king would not have made this reference. But the fact that this king referenced the term house of David shows that not only was David a real person, but that he was a well-known and respected name throughout the region. The last artifact that I want to discuss in this episode is known as the Black Obelisk of Shalmaneser. It was discovered in 1846 in the Palace of Nimrod and is now on display in the British Museum. This four-sided pillar is six and a half feet tall and it contains images on all of its four sides commemorating Shalmaneser's military conquests. What's amazing, and the reason this artifact relates to the reliability of scripture, is because it describes Shalmaneser's military campaign and mentions Jehu, one of Israel's kings. For example, in their book Old Testament Parallels, Laws and Stories from the Ancient Near East, Victor Matthews and Don Benjamin provide a translation of the obelisk. Shalmaneser wrote, 
My 16th campaign west of the Euphrates took place 18 years after I became the great king of Assyria. Hezael, king of Damascus, mustered a large army and fortified Mount Sainer. I fought and defeated him, killing 16,000 of his soldiers. I took 1,121 chariots, 470 horses, and a supply convoy. He ran from the battle to save himself, and I besieged his capital city of Damascus. After cutting down his orchards, I marched as far as the mountains of Haran. Along my line of march, I destroyed every town, taking vast amounts of booty. Shalmaneser goes on to say the following. He says, Eventually I marched as far as the mountains of Balirasi and erected a still containing my royal image at the seashore. Having demonstrated my power, I accepted the tribute of the people of Tyre and Sidon and from Jehu, the son of Omri. As you can see, this archaeological find provides a very detailed description of this military campaign by Shalmaneser. Now, going back to the mention of King Jehu, not only is Jehu mentioned, but the black obelisk shows Jehu kneeling before Shalmaneser. Not only does the obelisk show Jehu bowing before the Assyrian king, but it records that Jehu paid a tribute. In fact, Shalmaneser wrote, Having demonstrated my power, I accepted the tribute of the people of Tyre and Sidon, and from Jehu, the son of Omri. But even more interesting is that the obelisk records the actual tribute that Jehu gave to the Assyrian king. It says, Jehu, king of Israel, ransomed his life with silver, with gold bowls, vases, cups and pitchers, with tin, and with hard wood for scepters and spears. Besides the archaeological discoveries that I discussed in this episode, there are hundreds of other discoveries, all of which support the Bible. In our next episode, we will continue to look at some of the archaeological discoveries that support the Old Testament books of the Bible. That's all the time that we have for today. Come back next time as we continue to look at archaeology to see how it shows the reliability of the Christian Bible. God bless.